is Father's Day and um, the you know sort of if, if your dad has passed away which mine has it's kind of a bittersweet moment for some of you when your dads are still alive it's a bittersweet moment but um, you know it's it's just a day when you, we pause and we think about the role of fathers in our society it's been greatly diminished right across our society the role of dads has been really diminished in, and I think it's time for us guys to stand up and retake what is rightfully ours which is fathering our children don't you think so amen so to this end I want to share with you 10 things you will never hear your father say you will never hear your father say okay get ready for this number 10 here take my wallet and go crazy shopping you will never hear that number nine no son of mine is going to live under this roof without an earring now quit complaining let's go to the mall you will never hear that i remember my daughter got her uh, belly button one of my daughters got her belly button pierced well, she wanted to get a belly button piece. I said, don't do it. It's very painful. She said, no, I've been told it's not that painful, Dad. I said, it will be when I rip it out. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's a typical father conversation. Number eight, you'll never hear a father say this. Here, honey, you use the remote. <laughs> you're all looking, you're all nudging one another at this point. Number seven, well, how about that? I'm lost. Looks like we'll have to stop and ask for directions. You will never hear a man say that. That's why they wandered for 40 years in the desert, they tell me. Not true. Um, how about this one, number six? Your mother and I are going away for the weekend. You might want to consider throwing a party. <laughs> Probably not going to happen. Uh, number five, what'd you go and get a job for? Son, I'll make plenty of money for you to spend. <laughs> never going to hear it. Number four, hey, let me hold your purse, purse while you try that bra on. Never going to hear that. I tell you that, if you want to torture your man, take him to one of those lingerie shops. It is torture. Like, it's, it, it's, it's a lose-lose for a man going into a lingerie shop. You just stand there. What do you look at? You know? The, the, yeah, the shop next door. That's what you look at. Number three, you'll never hear a father say this. I've never said this. Well, if all your friends are doing it, then it's probably okay. <laughs> Not going to happen. Number two, you will never hear this father say this. This modern music is way better than the stuff I used to listen to. <laughs> never going to happen. <laughs> and the number one thing you will never hear a dad say. When I was growing up, we had it really easy. Isn't that true? We always have a way of looking at it. So we want to celebrate dads today. Dads are unique, and I don't know what kind of dad you had. It might have, you might have had a great dad. You might have had a, a, a difficult dad. I don't know. I had a, a really great dad. He was funny, wise, godly, clever, strong, determined. And, but most of all, I knew that he loved me. I, I was never in any doubt that my dad loved me, and that's, that's precious. Even now he's gone to be with the Lord that I'll see him one day. And uh, he'll, he'll, he'll just give me a great big hug and we'll hang out and that's going to be awesome. So let me ask you first of all, how do you see your father? Because how you see your earthly father often affects how you see God as a father. <coughs> so I'm not sure what it's like for you. Maybe your father wasn't in the picture. Perhaps he left you early in life. Maybe he only showed up every other weekend at McDonald's. Uh, perhaps he was at home physically, but he was never there mentally for you. He never had time for you. Maybe he sexually abused you or maybe he belted you or maybe like me, he was a great dad. I don't know what your dad is like. But whatever your view of your earthly father, it affects how you see your heavenly father. Because God chose to reveal himself as a father. In 2 Corinthians 6.18, 
we read, And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. What an incredible thing, that God will reveal himself as a father. And I actually believe that's why fatherhood is under attack all the time, because it affects how we see God as our father. Some see God as having a big stick, waiting to scourge you and punish you if you step out of line. Some live in fear of rejection from him, fearing that the smallest failure will be punished severely. But some of you know him as a loving father whose heart is for you and whose love is infinite. So if you focus on your earthly father, you will see faults. How many of you know our earthly fathers are not perfect? How many of you fathers know you're not perfect? Absolutely. But if you concentrate on your heavenly father, you will see perfection right there. He's perfect love. So today, on Father's Day 2021, when many of us online listening, and shout out to you guys out there as well, um, different people locked down, different places around the world in this crazy mixed up world in which we live in. I want to concentrate on the, love, the father heart of God, the love that our father has for us, his heart for us. And when you're talking about a perfect father, if you want to see the, 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 the gist of the father heart of God, the, the heart that loves you, the true, the true fatherhood of God and his heart for you, you can do no better than looking at Luke 15. If you've got a, a Bible, look up Luke 15. We'll read from verse 11. This is my, my favorite parable of all, I think. Of all the stories that Jesus told, this one speaks to me more than anything. Reading from verse 11 of Luke 15. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth on wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. Not great for a Jewish boy. He, longs to, uh, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Isn't that a beautiful story? Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would just, as we open this story up a little, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. Father, I, I just pray that you would just wrap your arms around us this morning and tell us how much you love us because we love you and we want to be closer to you. Father, speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was just slipped a note here, and before I go on, I think this is things worth celebrating. I think this is worth celebrating, that three years ago on Father's Day, 
This gentleman here, Fred, had a heart attack, massive heart attack outside our church and was in a coma for three days, had a triple bypass operation. And I thank God that I'm looking at him eyeball to eyeball as our friend and our colleague and our lover. And I think we should celebrate this, don't you? We love you, man. We're so good to have you here. We thought we were going to lose you. You were lost, but now you're found. And we love it. So thank you so much for that, Leanne. That's worth celebrating. So let me give you a few, a few thoughts on the heart of a father. God loves, the heart of a father, father loves unconditionally. Don't believe me? Romans chapter 8, listen to this. Paul writes this, I love this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I love that stuff. Nothing, nothing, nothing in the world can separate. That's what unconditional love is, that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. Love's God, oh sorry, God's love for you is unconditional, meaning that no matter what you do, He loves you. I'll get into that in a minute. It is, it, it is unwavering, meaning it never changes. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. And also it is unfathomable, meaning try as you might, you will never exhaust or even fully understand the depths of God's love for you. The world tells you that if you love someone, you will let them do what they want. This message comes through all the time. If you love someone, you'll let them do what they want. That is not true. That is not true. We have to separate out our love for someone and whether we give them permission to do whatever they like. The world tells us that that's love, but it's not. And I often quote this, but uh, a conversation I had with one of our foster girls who said she's going to transition into a boy. Do I love her? Do I support her? And I said, well, yes and no. And she said, well, what do you mean? I said, I love you. My love for you is unconditional. I will never stop loving you. But no, I don't support what you're doing. I think it's foolishness and I think you'll suffer for it in the end. But I will never stop loving you. And that's what unconditional love is. It says never, never, never stop loving you. Did that mean I was happy that she did it? No, not at all. I was devastated. But my love for her is unwavering and she knows that. See, does God's infinite love mean everyone goes to heaven? That's a good question, isn't it? If God loves everyone, why don't we all go to heaven? It doesn't mean that at all. It means that though all of us deserve to go to hell, he offers the chance for us, any of us who would take it, to receive eternal life. But we all deserve to go to hell. I'm sick of people saying, well, if God loves everybody, he wouldn't send anybody to hell. That's not true. There are consequences. But God loves us so much that though everybody should go to hell, he chooses to save whomever would come to him. So if you go to hell, at the end of this lifetime, if you go to hell, it is your choice, not his. It's your decision, not his. If you don't receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you will go to hell. The Bible is clear. And it will break God's Father heart because he loves you so much. Even if you reject his son, he still loves you. But it doesn't mean you don't suffer the consequences for what you've decided. If God loves us, why doesn't he let us all go to heaven? If he did that, heaven would be hell. Because sin would be there. Unrepented sin would be there. And we need to be washed by the blood of Jesus and set free of all that junk so that heaven will be heaven. Now in the parable, 
God loves, or sorry, the father loves his son so much, even when the son rejects him and blows the family fortune on his own pleasures. So that boy out there doing what he was doing at his lowest point, whether, whether he was at home or abroad in a brothel, in a pigsty, didn't matter, he knew that his father loved him. But note this, even though his father loved him, he was still finished up sitting in a pigsty because there are consequences to what we do. Even though he might, God loves us, but there are still consequences to what we do. The Bible says, John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, if you reject Jesus, there are consequences in this life and the next. And even as a saved believer, even if you, even if you are a Christian, if you willingly sin, you'll be forgiven, but there are still consequences to what you've done. Remember, the symbol, uh, symbol for Christianity is a cross, not a cushion. We don't just get a free ride here because there are consequences to what we uh, will do. God is a loving father, and as any loving father knows, discipline is part of growing up. How many of you know that? How many of you were disciplined by your father? I was a time or two. He had to apply the rod of correction to the seed of learning once or twice for me. And uh, there are consequences. And sometimes the biggest punishment that we can get, the, the best way we learn, is just to reap the consequences of what we've done. See, God is more interested in our character than our comfort. I remember as a young fellow going out one day, and uh, we had a, a, a do on at school, and they had a lot of they had a lot of wine there, and I consumed a lot of wine. And I remember coming home. Actually, I don't remember much about coming home, to be honest. But I, I said to my mum and dad, I said, I said, there must have been something wrong with the food because I feel terrible. <laughs> and they went, hmm, the food, yeah, hmm, that'll be it, you know. And, uh, but th they didn't offer me, a, a, you know, a Panadol or something. They just said, well, sit there and enjoy it because that's what you get. And uh, I learned very quickly that there are consequences to some actions. Uh, that was before I came to Christ, by the way, just pointing that out. Um, Hebrews 12 says this, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Have you ever met a child who hasn't ever been disciplined? How many of you have met people like that, kids like that? If you haven't, go down to the local supermarket and sit for 10 minutes and watch, and you will be amazed at the things kids can get away with because they are expert at trying to do this and many parents are not experts at trying to deal with this see kids do need to experience the consequences of their action but through it all it doesn't mean that their parents don't love them you need to understand we need to separate like enjoyment and having a good life with whether god loves us or not 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says this, God is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. How many come to repentance? All. That's what he wishes for. It doesn't happen, but he offers it to all. I remember my kids trying to walk. Do you remember your, your kids when they first start to walk? We've got um, little Liliana here is, is just starting to walk. And I remember one of them, they, they she stood up on the edge of the couch and, and, and her feet were kind of going like, her legs were like Elvis Presley, you know, and, and they were like this. And then she sort of took that first step 
And I'm saying, come on, come on. And she took that second step and saying, come on, come on. And then she fell flat on her face. Who remembers that with your kids? Do you remember that? Some of you are doing it right now, right? And do you remember how when they fell on their face that you went and got a cricket bat out from behind the, the lounge and started beating them and said, you stupid child, you failed, you failed. Do you remember doing that? No. Why? Because you love them. What did you do? You helped them up and said, hey, come on, we can do this. Let's do it together. And you encouraged them. Why do you think your heavenly father is any different to you? He is not there with a big stick waiting for you to fail. He is there to encourage you and pick you up when you fall. But when you sin, he doesn't throw, throw you to the lions, just throw you to the lions of your consequences. You have to experience sometimes the consequence of your sin, but he is there with you every step of the way, encouraging you and saying, come on, we can do it. Why? Because he loves us unconditionally. First thing to understand about the Father in this story and your heavenly Father is that he loves you unconditionally, no matter what. The second thing is that the heart of a father wants the best for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God has a plan for your life. Your heavenly father has a plan for your life. You're not an accident. You're not a freak of nature. God created you and he has a plan for your life. And it's a great plan. It's pl he plans to prosper you and not to harm you. He plans to give you a hope and a future and a destiny and a, and a life that you would long to live, fulfilled and joyful. Even if you sin, even if you walk away, God still has purposes for your life. You may have walked away from God. You may have lost your destiny. You may, most of us don't walk away from God. We drift. We just get a little slack. And we just sort of float away a little bit. But I tell you, this is the day to come back to the Lord and say, Lord, here I am, use me. Lord, here I am, take my whole heart. Because he has a plan and a destiny for you. He is not out to punish you. He's not out to hurt you. He's not out to limit or control you. He wants the very best for you. But wanting the best for you doesn't mean he gives you everything you want. We come back to that same definition. If you love me, you let me do whatever I want. No. No, 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 no. See, the, the love of a father, the love of God, means you must trust him with every request to grant or not according to his infinite and loving will. He knows everything we don't. Simple as that. So why don't you trust him? Why don't we trust him? I believe God the Father today has a plan for your life. And you can choose to walk away. You can throw out his perfect plan. Or you can listen and say, no, Lord, I want to just tap into that and be everything that you want me to be in my life. So let me just pause for a moment. Look at your life right now. Look at everything around you, everything you are, everything you know, every, everything you've achieved. Let me ask you, are you fulfilled? Have you reached your destiny or have you fallen short? Because if you have fallen short or if you have stepped aside from what God wants for you, soon as you come back to him, it's game on. You see, you're God's special child, but you're also his special project. And he is faithful and he will never give up on you. You sin, you let him down, you reject him, you disobey him, but he never, never, never gives up on you. Just like our dads should never give up on us. If you turn to the Father today, he will forgive and complete his plan for your life because he never gives up on you. Isn't that exciting? That he loves us that much. The third thing is the heart of a father is always looking out for you. In verse 20 of Luke 15, it says this, 
So so he, the son, got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. All that time that the wayward child was away, self-indulging and sinning as much as he could, the father was not idle. He was waiting. He was looking at the horizon. He was searching. He was praying. And when that boy came over that, that little crest, the father rushed out to welcome his son home. See, all that time he was waiting expectantly, looking, believing for a change of heart. And God sees everything. You can't surprise him. God the Father knows everything. He's the creator of the universe. So you can't surprise him. Do you think your sin drives him away? Do you think your, it breaks his heart, but it doesn't stop him loving you? Do you think maybe he doesn't sin if you do it in the dark? No, he sees everything. He knows everything. Our excuses are often so pathetic, but he is just there waiting for us to turn and repent. But we we tend to offer excuses rather than saying, Lord, I just repent. I'm sorry and I repent. I remember um, when our kids were younger, my daughter Kira, and I'm going to identify because Tara says, every time you tell a story about your daughter, everyone thinks it's me. It's not. It's Kira, just putting it out there. Um, Kira's our little redhead, sums it up, Um, because redheads are unique and we love them. But Kira was there. We got up one Easter morning and and she was sitting. She climbed up into the, the cupboard, pulled out all of the Easter eggs that were stored there and was sitting in a sea of sort of chocolate and, um, and glittering paper and, and with chocolate all over her face. And when we said, what have you done, Kira? She blamed her doll. She said, I did, I did, the, the doll did, I didn't do anything. It's like, yeah, okay. But we knew. See, parents are like that. You kind of pick those things up. That it wasn't her doll, it was in fact her. How feeble her, her denials were, but you know. And that's what it's like with God. God's in that same situation. We think we can, we think we can fool him. I don't think so. We're sitting there in a sea of chocolate and glitter paper saying, it wasn't me, it was him. Don't believe it for a minute. The Bible is full of proof that God not only loves, not only forgives, but he also um, accepts and raises up those who have repented. Look at Paul. The Apostle Paul was murdering Christians, and yet he was made the Apostle to the Gentiles. Look at David. David committed murder, adultery, all of this sort of stuff, and yet he was Israel's greatest king. So picture this. In your darkest moment of sin, in your greatest time of shame, your father is watching, And he's waiting, he's not condemning you, but he's longing for you to turn to him. He doesn't like what he sees you do, but he never stops loving you. So no matter what you've done, no matter how selfish or sinful or horrible you've been, God, your father, he's looking out at you. He's standing there looking at the horizon saying, when is this person going to have a change of heart? He is waiting to lavish upon your life, uh, upon you, life and life to the full. Will you push him away again this morning? This is Father's Day. On Father's Day, we give fathers presents because we love them. This is going to be our opportunity in a few moments to give your Heavenly Father a present because you love Him. The fourth thing is the heart of a father always responds to repentance. I I read a story um, actually about a father who was on a family holiday and uh, they came across a large road sign that read road close. And how many of you know fathers know everything? said, road closed, do not enter. 
Well, the father said, well, I don't believe that stuff. This is a shortcut. We can make this. So he went round the sign. Uh, his wife and kids weren't so sure, but there was no turning back. This was a dad and he made his mind up. So he went round and he was telling him how clever it was and how quick this was going to be. And he came around a corner and the bridge was washed out. And so he very meekly and quietly turned back and went, made his way back around to take the longer way. Well, as he, as he turned the car around, he retraced his tracks to the main road. When they arrived at the original warning sign, on the reverse side of the warning sign was written, Welcome back, stupid. <laughs> and we're all like that. We think we can go our own way. And then when we figure it out, we need to come back and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Welcome back, stupid. I mean, let's face it. We all do foolish, headstrong things. We all think we can go our own way. The prodigal father responded to, with forgiveness to his son's repentance, and your heavenly father does the same. The boy said, look, if I can just go back, just make me a servant. At least that's better than eating with the pigs. But his father said, no, you're my son, and I'm going to restore that. As we read in 2 Peter 3, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance so in greek the word repentance is the word uh, metanoia which means a complete reversal of one's mind it means a 180 degree return uh, a 180 degree turn i love it when people say it's a 360 degree turn because if it's a 360 degree turn you're back facing the same way it's only 180 okay but what it means is you face the opposite direction it doesn't mean being sorry that you're caught it's far deeper than that it doesn't mean veering to one side or the other. Repentance is turning around the opposite way. It's not just, well, I'll just I'll modify a few things. It's no saying, Lord, I let it all go. I'm going to go back the, the right way. Now, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Now, you and I have sinned, even as believers, we've sinned. Yet if we sin, our conscience weighs heavily upon us and we regret what we've done, especially if we're caught. This regret will destroy you. How many, how many of you, maybe you're like this yourself, you look back with regret on things that you've said or done in the past. Some people are destroyed. Their whole life is destroyed because they cannot get past what they did before that they knew was wrong. The great thing about repentance is it wipes the slate clean. If you repent... You know, Cory Ten Boom said this, when we repent, God takes our sin and he throws it in the sea of his forgetfulness and he puts up a sign that says no fishing. And so many of us go back and fish in that same sea again. You've got to let that stuff go when it's repented of, it's done. The Bible says in 1 John 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, repentance might be painful, it might be humbling, but it actually sets you free in a way you've never experienced before. The burden of sin is lifted and the fear of the consequences is removed. You know, the Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We cannot go back and refish in that pond anymore. It's gone. It's finished. And here's the great thing. When we repent, we get the chance to build our life in the right direction. Isn't that exciting? I mean, people say, oh, I don't want to become a Christian because I don't want to give up all the fun. Well, if you think sin's fun, try holiness. It's really fun because you know what? You never have to look over your shoulder. 
You never have to worry about that stuff because you know you're moving in the right direction. If you want to give your heavenly father a gift this Father's Day, repent and seek him. That will be the greatest gift that you could give to him today. And his, his heart responds to repentance every time. The fifth thing is the heart of the Father wants to restore you. The true aim of the heart of the Father is to restore us. The prodigal returned home hoping just to be a servant, but he was restored to full, uh, full sonship. The brother didn't get this. We don't talk a lot about the brother, but he was mad that the first son got this great treatment when he'd blown all the, all the fortune, the family fortune. How dare you do that? You don't even give me a, you know, a lamb to have here. And yet you pull out all stops for him. The, son, the second son didn't get it. He didn't get what restoration is. He said, well, maybe you can restore him, but you need to still punish him. I reckon the father looked at his son at the state he was in and said, you've had punishment enough, my boy. It's time for you to come over here and we're going to celebrate the fact that you were back with us. The brother didn't get it. He got mad. But the heart of the father just had his eyes on restoring his son, his wayward son. Joel 2.25 says, I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. Have you ever seen a locust plague? It's devastating. Locusts are like teenage boys. They just eat everything. You know, you get teenage boys, they walk through a room and all the food just goes and disappears. Where did that all go, you know? And locusts, they eat everything. If it is edible, they will eat it. And there's millions of them. Yet Joel says, I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. And how many of us have years that we need restored? What does restoration mean? Restoration means it's as if the years of neglect never happened. And some of you here have years of neglect. You've had years when you've, you've stepped aside from the things of God. Maybe you're, you're just coming back now. I'm telling you, he will restore the years the locusts have eaten. When you restore something, it makes it as if the years of neglect never happen. So if you restore a car, it might be an old, um, you know, bomb out in a, in a paddock somewhere covered in rust. But if that is restored, it is restored lovingly and it is made as if the day it, wore, it, it rolled off the, the production line. It's made new. It works. Everything works well. It's shiny. It's beautiful. If you restore an old house, then you make it as if it, all those years of neglect never happened. That's what restoration is, and that's what God promises you. If you've wandered away from him, as the son did in this parable, those years you disobeyed and messed up your life, those dumb decisions, the pain you caused others, the pain you caused yourself, God is in the restoration business, and if you ask him, if you come to him today, he is... He is just ready, willing, and able to restore to you the years that you've lost. I've seen people who've walked away from Christ for a number of years come back, and they have grown, when they're in the right spot, they have grown 10 years' worth of spiritual growth in less than one because that's what restoration is about. So today, as I wrap it up, it's a great time to give God a Father's Day gift. I had um, a, a beautiful card and stuff given to me by uh, Kaylee and Liliana this morning. And I had some chocolates and stuff like that, which is nice. But the card was really good. What did it say? <laughs> Hope your day's better than your dad jokes. <laughs> and, and I just had to get the wording right. Um, 
And sadly, it probably won't be. <laughs> They're so good, my dad jokes. But today, I believe we can give God. I want to invite you to give your Heavenly Father a gift today. Father's Day is normally about fathers, and we normally have a message that encourages fathers. But I want you to give a gift to your Heavenly Father today. Why don't we do that today? Psalm 103 verse 1 says this, Bless the Lord, O my, o my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. You know, as Christians, we usually think about God blessing us, but today, as kids of the King, I, you know, I want you to think about blessing your dad back. When you're a little kid, right, you always go, Oh, what, how can I be blessed? How can my dad bless me? But as you grow a bit older, you want to bless him back, don't you? You want to give him gifts on Father's Day. When the prodigal son turned his face to home, he was humble, he was broken, but his father was blessed. Our humility and repentance blesses our Heavenly Father. However desperately you need Jesus, when you ask him into your life, you don't just become a slave. The, the son thought, if I get back to God the, or back to my father, just make me a slave. Just make me a servant. Just make me the, the bottom of the rank. At least I'll eat better than in the pig, pig pen with the other things. But he got elevated once again to the position of son. When you come, when you ask Jesus into your life and you come to him this morning, he makes you not a slave, but his son or daughter which means we can honor him on Father's Day. And if he's the king of kings, what does that make you? A princess or a prince. Your royalty. Now, royalty gets lots of privileges, but royalty also honors the king or queen in our case. So you've got a chance right now to honor your father, but also honor him as king. It's high time we gave our father in heaven a gift, I reckon, Something that reflects our love for him as a dad. Now, I can assure you, as a father for many years, and now a grandfather, that there has been many a misshapen clay bowl or plate that has been given to me through the years, or, or, or like a, a, a messy-looking painting or, or a dodgy-looking Father's Day card or something. And I can tell you that means more to me than a shop-bought gift. Why? Is it because it's more higher quality? Probably not. It's because of the heart that gives it. That's why it means so much to me. That my kids or our grandkids would take time out to do something special for me. I'm just humbled and blessed by that and filled with love for them, knowing that they love me so much. They, they do that. If they go to the shops and buy me something, says, there you go, Dad. It's not the same. If they actually put work and effort into it, it means so much, doesn't it? Is that the same for you guys? You fathers and mothers on Mother's Day? It's not because of the quality, it's because of the heart of the giver. So I've told you today about God's heart for you, but what I want to ask you is what about your heart for God? How do you feel towards God the Father? Now we've given you a piece of paper here. Some of you will have pens. Remember those? They were sort of pre-iPad days, but you know, they used to use pens back in the olden days. Um, if you've got one handy, that's great. What I'm going to ask you to do is take some time out just take a few moments we're going to pause we're going to spend some time in reflection and i'm going to ask you what are three things you can thank your heavenly father for it doesn't have to be big don't be cliche and write salvation and you know my family or something like that or my health or whatever make it something personal something specific something that is you know maybe relevant right now thank you lord for for you know just whatever it is some even something small 
Thank you, Lord, that my grandkids came and gave me a card today that means so much to me. Whatever it is, don't be cliche because I want this to be a moment of reflection when you are, are saying thank you to God because he loves you so much. This is our moment to bless the Lord, as that psalm says. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Thanking God blesses the heart of God, and we don't do it anywhere near enough. And we've made this as, as a nice piece of paper. So once you've written this down, I want you to place it in your Bible or, or you know, place it on the fridge or wherever, on your desk somewhere, to remind yourself to thank God. The greatest sin of the Western world is an ungrateful spirit. And we all have it in this country. We do. We're not grateful enough for the many blessings God gives us. So just take a few moments to do that. And then we're just going to sing and wrap up this morning. Some of you have Father's Day things to go to. So take a few moments and just fill that out now.